Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 158 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by IFL TV's Umar Ahmed. Umar, welcome back on the show. You was on once before, like I say, and uh, welcome once again. Great to be back on. Uh, always a pleasure. Hey, the pleasure is mine, my friend. It truly is. Let's start with the review part of the show. We're going to start at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. Uh, this bill took place last Thursday, so... Um, a little while ago now. A couple fights to mention, really. Maybe just the one here. Jason Quigley remained undefeated. He's now 15-0. and A successful defense of his NABF middleweight title against Freddie Hernandez. Um, the bout ended up going the full distance. Ten rounds unanimously, like I say, in favor of Quigley. He did pick up a cut in round four that was caused by an accidental head clash. And... Um, I think also a cut on the right eye, so both eyes cut there. Um, I think the, the, the right eye, I think, was done in round seven. Um, also, Hernandez was cut himself from another head clash in the seventh round, so a little bit messy there for Quigley. Uh, moving over now to a, to a fight that actually took place in the Bangkok University. A guy just to mention here, because... You know, guys that fight in big, high-profile fights and then they lose and then they go and do their other thing elsewhere. We still mention them. We still do mention them on this show. So a guy here called Tua Kiram. Now, you may not remember the name, but I'll refresh your memory. He fought Lucas Matisse for the vacant world title. Um, Obviously, I think he was winning the fight. And then Matisse found this really odd-looking punch and ended up stopping Kiram, who was beautifully undefeated. 38-0, I believe he was. Well, he's now picked up win number 39. Still that sole defeat to Matisse. A fourth round TKO against a guy here called Manny Issa, who was actually 11-1 with two draws going in. Um, That's it, though, for Bangkok in Thailand. Moving over now to Mexico. One fight to mention over here. Former opponent of Terry Flanagan, a man that we will be talking about in the in the preview part of the show. Um, Jose Zapida, he picked up win number 30. His one loss came to Terry Flanagan, but here he picked up a TKO in the seventh round against Domicio Rondon, who's now 15-5. and five. That's it for Mexico. Moving over now to the Brentwood Centre, a card that I was present at. So were you, Omar, so uh, we can talk about this here. We can get our teeth into this. Obviously, Essex, United Kingdom. Um, I'm going to start with... with um, I'm going to start with... Hamza Shiraz, who um, who picked up win number five, a points win over four rounds. He beat his guy who only had one loss and uh, sorry, one win and thirteen losses, so clearly overmatched. But one thing that stood out to me here is Hamza Shiraz is now going under the name of Mohammed Shiraz. That's the first I've seen of that. Um, a good fighter though, Shiraz Umar. I'm not quite sure how much you've seen of him, but every time I've seen him, I I really like the way he fights. I think he's got a good style. Obviously, a very tall guy for the weight, but um, very very good boxer. Not just a guy with big size, so he can you know he's kind of got the advantage. He's he's a good fighter aside from the size. Yeah, I've seen clips of him on Twitter, etc. But that was the first fight I've seen a full fight of him, and the first I've seen him live. Obviously, um, as you say, he looks really composed um very good jab tall for the weight 154 pounds he's massive 
Um, 19 years old, so that sort of composure for a 19-year-old is really impressive. And uh, I think he can go a long way uh, under Frank Warren and uh, BT Sport. A good prospect. Certainly a good prospect, one that we've mentioned a couple times on this show before. Um, certainly one to look out for. I know that he even brings his very own photographer to his fights, so that says something in itself. Um, also, we saw Boy Jones Jr. pick up win number 18 inside 20 fights, one loss and one draw, a points win over six rounds against Lester Cantelano, who's now 4-22. and 22. Um, Lucian Reed moved to 8-0, and 0, a points win over eight rounds against the, the, uh, the journeyman Rafael Castillo, 14-48 and 48 with three draws. Nathan Gorman picked up win number 14 here. Um, a points win over eight rounds against Kamil Sokolowski, who's now 5-13 and 13 with with two draws, sorry. And um, once again, Sokolowski, one of the toughest guys. He really is a tough, tough guy. Obviously been in there with the likes of Huey Fury in an exhibition fight that's not on his record. And also he's been in there with Dillian White. David Price and a couple of others so uh, good learning fight there for Nathan Gorman but I do have to say I think Sokolowski was only given about two or three days notice so uh, credit to him for actually lasting the distance there what's your thoughts by the way Umar not like I'm gonna not gonna put you on the spot so much here but obviously um, we've got Daniel Dubois making noise we've got Nathan Gorman making noise Gorman seems like he's the one who really wants that fight more than Dubois perhaps he's the one who keeps pushing for it Ricky Hatton said that every week he's asking him please get me that fight Um, in your opinion should they fight in the near future should they let it marinate a little bit they're still very young no real title or world ranking on the line so perhaps not right now but how do you see it well i interviewed ricky hatton after the gorman fight on saturday night and he wasn't very happy he said it was a mediocre performance at best gorman did hurt his hand but you know he still wasn't pleased with nathan um and nathan was the same um wasn't pleased at all as a fight fan, obviously, I want to see Gorman Dubois. Um, you know, even if it is next, it might be early. But we, as a fight fan, you want to see the best fight the best. And, you know, in terms of young heavyweights, not many better than Dubois and Gorman. So it's brilliant to see. But from a commercial point of view and probably from Frank Warren's point of view, he wants to stretch it out. So, you know, they get become bigger ticket sellers, um, more popular on TV. So the, the fight builds, basically. But I think, you know, it's a natural fight, um, whether it happens next year, two years, even three years, it's going to be a big fight um, regardless and a 50-50 really on paper. Um, Dubois didn't look excellent against Johnson, I think it's fair to say, and Gorman didn't look excellent in his last fight. So, you know, they're not they're not going in there blasting everyone out or looking sensational. So there's, there's, there's faults there and improvements to be made, rawness. But obviously, they are very talented. Um, Dubois, massive puncher. Um, and Gorman, in terms of ring IQ and, and boxing brains and hand speed, he looks looks really good. So it's going to be a, a good fight regardless of whatever happens. But from a commercial point of view, as I said, probably let it build for a couple of years. But from a fight fan point of view, I want to see that next. Yeah, very well said. Um, you know... I'm usually a guy that likes to see two guys get in there pretty much straight away, but there's something um, within my thoughts that kind of wants me to be a little bit patient. I think perhaps, you know, a couple years' time even, maybe not a couple years' time, maybe 18 months, something like that. I'm happy with that. And I think the reason behind that is simply because these guys are still so young. I think, what what's, what's Gorman? Is he about 22 
22-23. Doesn't yeah. look it, but he's about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Dubois, like I say, what's he, about 21, 22? 21, I think 21. Dubois is. There we go. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're very much still learning the pro game. Um, so, yeah, we can wait. I think we should all kind of get off their backs a little bit, those that want to see that fight so much. I think we can let that wait. Um, two men that really didn't care about letting it wait, we're going to mention now Zach Chelly 4-0, Umar Sadiq 3-0. Now, one reason why they may have not wanted to let this one wait too much, there was a 10-year age gap, which is quite shocking. Um, Zach Chelly just 20 years of age, Umar Sadiq 30, even though he doesn't look... 30 at all. Um, both men put their undefeated records on the line here. Like I say, 4-0 and Chelly, 3-0 and Sadiq. Um, no belt on the line, but credit to both men for taking the fight this early on in their careers. Um, just want to quickly run through the fight here, um, kind of round by round. A good first round, I felt, for Chelly. I didn't think Chelly was really letting his shots go in bunches. Um, Sadiq didn't look too comfortable when the, when the pair were exchanging. Um, Chelly... I see. I see that he, you know, he likes to keep very compact, very, very tight. He makes himself quite a small target. I felt Chelly was a little bit stiff looking. I think that Sadiq, who is the complete opposite, very loose kind of boxer, um, I felt he was a little bit slower, Sadiq, with his attacks, and sometimes he was leaving himself wide open. I felt that Chelly did shade that first round. Now in the second round, again, I felt that Chelly won that round um, quite clear. Actually, I think Sadiq was falling short with his jab a lot. He almost looked a little bit gun shy in there. I have said before, you know, I'm a believer in Chelly's power. Chelly was happy to sit back at that point and actually let um, Sadiq chase him. I think that Sadiq should have probably been the one on the back foot when you actually think about the fight and the, the two guys and the size of them. Sadiq's probably better suited to box off the back foot, but you know, after losing that first round, even though it wasn't a, a clear round to score, I felt that he he was probably fighting with the wrong tactics. He was he was kind of chasing um, Chelly around the ring, and Chelly was happy, like I say, to sit back. Um, yeah. Two rounds I gave there straight away to Chelly. In the third round, I felt it was a close round, but one where, again, I felt that Chelly did enough to win it. Sadiq was just missing too much. I was very surprised with that. Bad measuring of his distance accompanied by Zach's movement, which I don't think we've had chance to see too much of previously um, with Zach Chelly. Um, Sadiq did land a nice left hook in that round, but... That was really it for him. I think 3-0 um, after three rounds there, in my opinion, in favor of Chelly. Um, in the fourth round, it was a close round. I actually gave that one to Sadiq. A lot of people um, in and around my my uh, my seat didn't agree with that, but I felt that Sadiq caught Chelly with a, with a big left hook, and for a moment, he looked very troubled. Um, but he came back with a beautiful attack himself, actually, Chelly, to his credit, and he did land a few big shots on Sadiq, um, a great response from Chelly, but for me, not enough to win that round. The fifth round, certainly a great, great round. Chelly looked to be tiring. Sadiq, you know, we, we all kind of felt was better conditioned. He's in phenomenal shape. Sadiq started very well, but Chelly actually finished well in that round. I actually gave that one to Chelly, but a very close round, very difficult one to score. And at that point already, I needed... Um, Sadiq to win everything um, just to get a draw actually going into the sixth round this so I had it 4-1 to Chelly now going into the sixth round just when for me Umar needed everything he he got put down a nice 10-8 round that was at that point no real way back for me for um, for, for, for Sadiq there um, a beautiful overhand right really really well timed from Chelly Umar um, did get back up, and I didn't think Chelly should go for the knockout, and he didn't really, which was probably because um, he landed a big shot 
but pretty much as soon as Sadiq got up, he landed a good shot on him, and Sadiq took it really well with no problem. So he showed some good recovery skills there. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd only gave Sadiq one round, and then to lose a 10-8 like that in the sixth round was no good. A big round in the seventh, though, for Sadiq. So credit to him for coming back from that knockdown. Like I said, very good conditioning from Sadiq. Chelly was starting to to you know appear very, very fatigued at that point, and he was fighting in bursts, and... Um, I wasn't too sure if he was going to be able to survive the the you know the, the entire fight the the eight from final round that would be coming up next. But yeah, I felt if he st- if he just stayed on his feet, he'd win it, and he certainly did. In the eighth round, it was an unbelievable round. Actually, Chelly was gone in terms of fatigue. He was he was there for the taking, um, he, not because he was hurt, but simply because he was so tired and he was just fighting on instinct a little bit. He was absolutely done in my eyes, and then out of nowhere, he lands a beautiful shot on Sadiq's chin. Um, that wobbled Sadiq, and then Chelly goes in for the kill. He got like an added little burst of energy there, and um, it was crazy actually because in that round it looked like Chelly was a few seconds away from being dropped, and like I say, so did Sadiq. Both men in that final round looked in real trouble. Um, Chelly did somehow finish stronger, which is unbelievable to think how fatigued he was going into that round. But yeah, a, a hard a hard round to score, to be honest, that final round, but it didn't really matter. An unbelievable way to end what had been an epic fight. Uh, both men can learn a lot from this, I feel, and move on. And credit to both, like I say, for taking it. Sadiq was moaning a little bit at the referee afterwards, which I felt was a little bit silly because I think he he lost quite clearly. Um, but yeah, you know, he's come out on Twitter since then and has congratulated Chelly, so no bad blood there. Epic fight, though. For me, fight of the night, Umar, I'm not sure if you agree. What did you think of it? I'd have to say Garton Corcoran was probably fight of the night, but it was an excellent fight. Um, bit of edge, obviously, in the lead-up to the fight. As you said, they didn't have to take it at this stage, but credit to the pair of them for doing so. Um I agree. I thought Chelly won the fight, um, especially with that 10-8 round. Um, and for a young guy, Chelly looks very, very good. Um, Sadiq, I'm sure, can come back. Obviously, is a big loss because um, he's had that long amateur career. And, you know, as you said, he's 30 years old. It doesn't look it, but it is a big loss. But I'm sure he'll come back. Um, he wants the rematch. Um whether Chetty will give it to him next, I don't know. Uh, it's been announced that Zach Parker will be facing Daryl Williams for the vacant British title. Um, and I'd love the winner to fight Zach Chetty. Um That fight will be on the Josh Taylor undercard of the WBSS in Glasgow. And yeah, as I said, I'd love the winner to, to fight Zach Chetty. I think that'd be a great fight. Whether Zach should take that um, after such a a tough fight against Sadiq next, and he's so early on in his career. I don't know. Listen, if he doesn't take it, no one's gonna be no one's gonna be blaming him, saying he's ducking it, whatever. Like it's fine, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it. And uh, Daryl Williams and Zach Parker is a very good fight as well. Um, 50-50 on paper, you have to say, because Zach Parker looks very good. Um, and in terms of him, my Sadiq, as I said, he wanted the rematch uh, next, as he would. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure he'll come back. Um, uh, yeah, a great fight. But I'd have to say I'd have to say uh, Garton Corcoran was fight of the night. Okay, we will get on to that in just a moment. Um, talking about the predictions last last week, we. Um, me, Ayaz, and the listeners. No, sorry, me and Ayaz both went with Sadiq to win that fight on points. 
Um, the listeners actually went with Chelly by knockout, which did look like it could happen a couple times during the fight, but no one got that one right. And just to save a bit of time here, we had four fights to predict on last weekend. I gave my picks, Ayers gave his, and the listeners gave theirs. Absolutely no one got anything right, so no movement at all on the prediction league there. Um, but yeah, getting back to that Brentwood card, Bradley Skeet, he picked up win number 28 inside 30 fights. Um, obviously, two losses there. A knockout in the third round against Fernando Valencia, 8-6, and six, going in now 8-7. and seven. Um, Very, very... Um, good to see Skeet back in the ring. Um, he looked very sharp. A good knockdown in the second round. Um, I think he's the first man to knock his man down, let alone end up stopping him. So a little bit of a statement made there. Skeet was boxing very well, though. During the fight, he was hitting and not being hit. Um, I think that Valencia was actually saved by the bell a little bit in the second round. And then, like I say, in the third round, Skeet landed a beautiful shot that stunned his man, and then he jumped all over him. And the referee, I felt, stepped in a little bit too quickly, but Valencia did end up going down a second or two after the referee jumped in. So um, a little bit of a delayed reaction. The referee seemed to see it before anyone else, so perhaps a good decision, to be honest. Um, yeah, but statement made a little bit. Like I said, that guy had never been stopped, and Ski isn't really known as the biggest banger, but he's he's managed to put his man away. Um, so brilliant stuff for him. He's back. Um, moving up the card once again, Joe Mullander picked up win number 11 with two losses. A TKO in seven rounds against Ben Caps, who is now 15-5 and five with two draws. A good fight while it lasted. Joe Mullander certainly, he, he kind of likes to abandon all his boxing skills and just have a complete tear-up. And he... He is a fan-friendly fighter, and I've seen him a few times now, and that's just the way he fights. He likes to go to war, and there was a few guys on this card that like to go to war. Like I say, Garton and Corcoran, I was saying it all before the fight. There's no way that that fight can't be a brilliant fight, just knowing the two styles. Um, let's talk about that, actually. Garton and Corcoran here, Umar. Garton ended up getting the win, a TKO in the 11th round. It was obviously for the vacant British welterweight title, a belt that was vacated by Skeet in an attempt to really pass the belt over to his gym mate, Garton, without actually fighting him, which ended up playing out um, perfectly in, in the uh, the iBox gym's eyes, if you like. So another win here for Garton, 23-1 with one draw, and a very tough loss for Corker, and obviously the two losses before came to Jeff Horn at world title level and to Liam Williams, who I still think is a potential future world champion. So a little bit of a tough loss to take at this level for Corker, and who I had um, quite a clear favourite, actually, going in. Yeah, lots of people were picking Corcoran. Um, he was the favourite going in with all his experience, fighting for a world title before, etc. Um, but as you said, Garton and Skeet, very good mates. And uh, Garton was always sort of in, in the shadow of Bradley Skeet. But obviously Bradley uh, vacated and, and fought in, in Spain. Um, and yeah, so pleased for Johnny Garton. Um, it was a brilliant fight. One of the best fights I've seen live from ringside. Maybe the best, actually, um, from ringside I've seen. Uh, it was a brilliant fight. Um, non-stop action. Blood, sweat, tears, had everything. Um, shame about what happened outside the ring during that fight. I'm sure you'll talk about that. But, um, yeah, brilliant fight. And uh, a fight I really want to see is a Garten v. Chris Conger. I think that would be an excellent fight. Um, but, yeah, congratulations to Johnny Garten for winning the British title. Uh, after I interviewed him, he was like, it's a dream come true. Um, people saying that he'd never, that they think he'd never win a Southern Area title. Uh, 
let alone a British title. So well done to to him and uh, the celebrations after the ring were brilliant as well. Bradley Skeet um, um, had a bit of his blood, had a bit of Garn's blood on him. Um, it was a it was a brilliant fight, and uh, yeah, as I said, one of the best I've seen live from ringside. And yeah, once again, well done to Johnny Garton. Yeah, Bradley Skeet's head literally looked like a newborn baby, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was covered in blood, not just a little bit. But um, to be honest, Uma, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, do this fight a little bit of a, of a disservice, really, because I didn't see much of the fight, believe it or not, because like you mentioned there, there was a, a, about 100 fights going on right behind me. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to go into all that too much. So just from my point of view... Um, from what I did see of the fight, I mean the atmosphere. Aside from all the all the silly stuff that was going on in close proximity to my seat, um, the atmosphere was just unbelievable. Um, I didn't really think the Brentwood Centre had that atmosphere in it, to be honest. But I did, um, I did see the atmosphere, and it was quite unbelievable. Um, I felt that the cut on Garton's head was so horrific that. I just couldn't believe that they were letting him carry on with it. And credit to him for fighting through that to end up getting the stoppage. Um, and Corcoran's a tough character, as we know. But yeah, both men were very, very tired in the latter part of the fight. Um, I think Corcoran, to be honest, is the stronger of the two. Um, I felt that he was kind of pushing Garton a little bit. And then, like I say, Corcoran, um, I'd probably say he's even the smarter boxer. But Garton, the willpower and the, the drive and the determination and just... You know, wanting to win that British belt, um, he just had that something extra, and um, he's a tough, tough, rugged warrior. He truly is, and all he knows is war as well. Like I say, whenever I've seen Garton fight, it's never a boring fight. He likes to have a tear up, just like I say about Joe Mullander. Um, this this had a few warriors on the bill, and uh, and Garton certainly is one of the front runners for uh, for British warriors in terms of all the boxers that we've got, but. Um, yeah, Corcoran was absolutely done, to be honest. Completely exhausted. I felt that it looked a little bit premature to stoppage, but uh, you I know, couldn't really argue with it. I don't think he could have gone another round. He was absolutely done, Corcoran. So a very tough fight. And like I say, credit to Garton for fighting through that horrific gash and uh, and then obviously lifting the title. But yeah, sad to see, um, to see Corcoran not last the distance there. That's a very tough, tough loss for him. Um, oh yeah, and finally, the Anthony Yard versus Walter Sequeira fight now Yard proceeded to 17-0 still undefeated another defense of his WBO intercontinental light heavyweight title here the European belt wasn't on the line obviously because this guy was from Argentina a TKO in the fourth round for Anthony Yard um I mean, immediately you could see that Yard Yard was absolutely huge standing next to his opponent. I felt that the first round was quite a slow round. Yard wasn't really stepping on the gas. He was being very patient, almost too patient. Yard did fall short with his straight right hand a lot in the first round, which I was quite surprised about. Um, I gave Sequeira the second round, in all honesty. The work rate from him was, uh, was just a little bit better than Yard's. Not that I think he was setting a high pace or anything I just think that Yard almost seemed to just let him do what he wanted I'm not quite sure why Um, Yard seemed to just be carrying him a few rounds for some reason and perhaps maybe letting him tire himself out Um, I was quite pleased to see good defense from Yard it seemed like he was kind of 
showing us more or just practicing a little bit in front of everyone, which obviously not everyone's a, a big fan of that. But I, I saw great defence from Yard, which we haven't always seen. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't really give him enough credit for that, in my opinion. He seemed extremely comfortable um, whenever we've seen him in the ring, and this was no different, really. Um, he's always in control in the ring, to be honest, and like I say, in that third round, I actually felt that he was either extremely pacing himself or actually tiring. I think that was a bit of a weird one. A lot of people very underwhelmed with this performance. Um, I was actually surprised to, to not hear the crowd booing. Um, and then, yeah, three times Sakera got dropped. Um, it wasn't like he got laid out. He took a knee each time. And after getting up for the third time, the third and final time, the referee waved it off and did him a favour, to be honest, but quite a lacklustre performance there from Anthony Yard, in my opinion. Um, leaving that bill alone, though, because we are, we are going into some... Uh, some great detail here. We need to be a little bit quick with this. Moving over now to the CFE Arena in Orlando, Florida, USA. Uh, World Boxing Super Series card. This one we saw Mike Perez, the former heavyweight turned cruiserweight. Um, he actually took on Keith Tapia, which was a brilliant, brilliant fight on paper going in. It was for the vacant WBA Feder Latin cruiserweight title. Mike Perez managed to grind out the unanimous decision over 10 rounds. So a uh, new belt for him and another win for him. He gets his career back on track there. Very interesting because he was always... I mean, he was like a small heavyweight, I guess. But he always was... You know, he never looked great on the eye, never really showed up in fantastic shape. And then now, I mean, he makes cruiserweight and he doesn't even come in right at the 199 um, and three quarter pound limit or anything like that. He, he literally comes in um, a few pounds under that. I think he came in 197 or something like that. So, a uh, very interesting character there. Also on the bill, we saw Uniel Dutakos. He moved to 23 and 1. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Matthias Mastanek, who I'd have thought. Dortikos would have probably put away, but no, it wasn't to be, and it was actually quite a close-ish fight. Mastanek, like I say, a former opponent of Bellew, he picks up loss number 5, 41 wins, though, not to be ashamed of. Dortikos marches on. Uh, we also saw Emmanuel Rodriguez, the man that came over here and won the title against Paul Butler. He moved to 19-0, and um, a successful defense of his IBF World Bantamweight title against the previously undefeated Jason Maloney, 17-0, and now 17-1. and That's the twin brother of Andrew Maloney. So a good win there for Rodriguez. No shame from Maloney whatsoever. It ended up being a split decision over 12 rounds. So Maloney certainly can come again. Very good fighter. Him and his twin brother, to be honest. Um, so yeah, unbelievable. That card there was, was full of big punches, if you like. Uh, Mike Perez, I think, is quite a big punch. Keith Tapia, Dortikos, humongous puncher. Um, the Maloney and, and Rodriguez fight, not so much. But every single fight of note on that bill went the distance. So quite surprising there. Moving over now to the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. We saw um, Danny Aryalusinov pick up win number four. A knockout in the first round against Matt Doherty, now 8-6 and six with one draw. Um, Scott Quigg got a TKO in the second round against his man Mario Briones. I was expecting that, to be honest. Briones, whenever he really has stepped up to the top level, he's lost and in most cases been knocked out when he's really fought top opposition. So he was denied his 30th win there. His record now 29-8 and with two draws. Scott Quigg 35-2 and with two draws. Um, Tommy Coyle, I mean, it was, it was his dream to go on the road and fight in the States. He achieved that here. He did it, and he topped it off with a win. He had his man down in the seventh round, his opponent Ryan Kilzuski, who I think, I said it on last week, I think, 
he uh, was was a bit of a late change. I think originally Coyle was supposed to take on a southpaw, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, um, Kielzuski now 29 and four. Tommy Coyle 25 and four. Very unlucky to not get the stoppage. He was really chasing it, but nonetheless, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Coyle. Jamie Moore's a very happy man. Um, Katie Taylor took on Cindy Serrano. 10 two-minute rounds. It ended up being unanimous in favor of Katie Taylor. It was an absolute shutout. Uh, she successfully defends here her WBA World Female Lightweight title and the IBF belt. Her record now 11-0. and Kid Galahad, 25-0 and now. A unanimous decision over 12 against Toka Khan Clary, who's now 25-2. and A very good fighter was Clary, though, and a very tough fight on paper. This was truly Kid Galahad's first real acid test. And like I say, he now puts himself in position to take on the winner of Josh Warrington and Carl Frampton. Big fights ahead for him, Umar. Yeah, um, there's been a bit of back and forth between Kid Galahad and, and Carl Frampton. I'll come on to, into that a bit. But yeah, Galahad looked very comfortable. I thought completely controlled uh, the fight against Soccer Khan Clary. Um, a lot of people going into it said it could, could be a close fight. But yeah, Barry looked very good um, in complete control. Yeah, he's finally got his big shot now. Um in what's going to be a brilliant fight, um, whoever he fights, I think. Um, but yeah, Carl Frampton, Josh Warrington, another great fight. I think a couple of years ago, a year ago, if you'd asked people about Frampton, Warrington, 78% would have said, even 90% would have said Frampton. But obviously after uh, Warrington upset the odds against Selby, um, it's a 50-50 fight, you've got to say. Um, neutral location. So both fighters will bring their respective sets of fans. Um, and obviously Josh goes into it as the, as the IBF champion. Um, but yeah, uh, after Kid Galahad's fight, Coogan uh, interviewed uh, Galahad in, in, in the in the changing room and uh, was basically saying if Frampton is victorious against Warrington, that he thinks Frampton will vacate the title um, so he doesn't have to face his mandatory in, in Kid Galahad. And then Coogan interviewed Frampton, who was also out there. And uh, I think the quote was from Frampton, you are fucking insane. <laughs> Excuse the language. Um, that, you know, he will, of course, face Kid Galahad if he, you know, when if he's uh, the mandatory, which he is. Um, but Frampton said he's, he, he's, obviously, if he beats Warrington, he's planning to unify, etc., um, but if the unification fights don't come off Frampton, he said, of course he'll face uh, Kid Callahad and he, he won't vacate. Um, so that was a bit interesting. Um, but yeah, that, that featherweight mix is great at the moment. Yeah, it certainly is. It must have been a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there from Dominic because uh, I can't really see Carl vacating and uh, even moving up to something like Super uh, super Feather. I don't think he belongs up there. Well, actually, uh, interestingly enough... Um, Carl did say that he wants them unification fights at featherweight a couple more and then possibly moving up to super featherweight um, for the end of his career. He did say that. That remains um, to be seen. Mm, that mm. remains to be seen. That'd be interesting. I don't think he's a big feather, to be honest, but we shall see. Um, yeah, but just, just one other little note there on Galahad. Like I say, 
Um, his first real acid test, it was about time for him. I think he's a man that's been patiently waiting for a long, long time. I remember when he used to fight under Mick Hennessy on Channel 5, and they used to say that he was like the second coming of Prince Nassim Hamed, and that seems so long ago. Um, and to think that he's still he's still there, he's still undefeated, he just hasn't had the chance to prove how good he is. And he put on a good performance here. I felt that um, he is, just like many Ingle fighters, he's got an unbelievable defense. I love... Uh, Galahad's defense is one of his absolute best attributes actually he's a class all-round fighter anyway um, but yeah he was a smaller man and Clary was a good fighter himself Clary definitely had the edge in power that was about the only thing that Galahad um, lacked I think in that fight and just in general I think Galahad's power is probably the you know that's probably the only downfall I don't think he's the biggest puncher um, but yeah the fight for the most part was a very tactical fight here very high paced um, not the most entertaining fight if we're being honest but Galahad's conditioning is absolutely crazy I mean he didn't look tired at all great feet great movement I love the way he switches from stance to stance orthodox to southpaw very natural the way he does it like a lot of Ingle fighters and um, yeah like I say he's now going to be the mandatory for the winner of Warrington and Frampton, um, that will be interesting. Um, I think the zone, if they were to perhaps um, bring their money out, it could play a big part in this, especially if they if they manage to secure um, the fight being on one of their shows, one of Eddie Hearn's shows. So that could be quite interesting. Imagine Frampton um, in the same press conference as Eddie Hearn again. I'm sure that would be golden. Um, but yeah. That is that is about that for that one. Uh, moving up the card once again, Demetrius Andre, 25 and 0. We wanted to see um, Billy Joe Saunders in the other corner. It wasn't to be, but in stepped another undefeated fighter who only had about 12, 13, 14 days notice. So um, no real shame in him, really, to be honest. I mean, he was 17 and 0, 16 knockouts. He did manage to go the distance over 12 rounds against Andrade. Obviously, Andrade is now the new WBO world middleweight champion. Um, Andrade was the much smaller man. I mean, we we do have to remember that Andrade hasn't really been fighting at 160 for too long. He's a man that's moved up in weight. Um, Andrade obviously put his man down with a straight left and. Um, he actually gave him a clean shot while he was down, which was a little bit naughty. Malinaji picked up on that on the commentary. He said that he was quite lucky to escape without being disqualified there. Um, but a good round, like I say, in that first for Andrade. In the second, in the second round, I gave it to Andrade once again. In the third, a beautiful left hook from Andrade that floored Calton Dokwa. Um, Andrade or Andrade actually ducked. Calton Dock was right hand. He slipped it and moved his feet into position as the pair both turned back around at each other, kind of thing. And Andrade had a left hand waiting for Calton Dock. A beautiful little move there. Real, real excellent stuff from him. Um, he jumped up on the top rope celebrating because um, he thought it was probably over, but Calton Dockwa got up and continued to his credit. Like I say, in the fourth round, down went Calton Dockwa once again. It was a straight shot this time. Beautiful move from Andrade once again. And then later in the round, Andrade put his man down once again with a left hand. Um, Time and time again, Andrade would just catch his man coming in. He'd take a step out, then a step back in with the big overhand left, and he seemed to not really be able to miss Calton Dockwell with it. In the fifth round, I felt that Demetrius actually probably took a round off there. 
Um, in the sixth round, Andrade once again took his foot off the gas. I still think that he probably did enough to win that round. In the seventh round, Andrade had a great round who seemed to be showing this guy a little bit more respect now, actually. And the guy, like I say, to his credit, he'd been down three or four times at this point and he was still fighting on with belief. In the eighth round, Andrade won that round for me. I felt that the corner should probably be considering pulling their man out at that point he needed a knockout and he didn't come close to getting a knockout all night and Andre was just controlling the fight he was so comfortable in there and in the ninth round and really the 10th 11th and 12th he just kind of cruised it Andre I kind of zoned out a little bit if I'm being honest but like I say on last week's or like I said on last week's show it's very very difficult to completely adjust with with only a few days notice you know yourself he didn't know that he was going to be taking on Calton Dokwa till the last minute at the same time time when Kauten Dokwa found out he was going to be fighting for the world title but like I say it's very difficult when you're preparing for a slick southpaw and then you take on an orthodox banger um, with just a few days to prepare so credit to both men there not the fight we wanted to see really Umar but you can't take nothing away from Andrade it certainly wasn't his fault and he's gone out and done a complete job here on an undefeated fighter whether we knew him or not he had a big ranking very high up in the WBO and he's completely wiped the floor with him really and he did everything but knock him out out. Yeah, as you say, no thought of, of Andrade's that uh, the Billy Joe fight didn't come off. Um, yeah, he had to do what he had to do and did it very comfortably. Um, you know, the, the Billy Joe was probably people picking Billy Joe in that fight. It was probably 60-40 split towards Billy Joe's and fans' opinions. So that would have added a bit of extra pressure on Andrade because, you know, change of opponent, um, etc. The people would have expected him to do a job uh, which he did do in the end but yeah you know there's was, it wasn't like it was in a, a completely easy fight or whatever there would have been a bit, bit of extra pressure because you know the they, the opponent wasn't as good as billy joe obviously so he did well um and yeah two weight world champ now a fight with jacobs would be could be brilliant if he if he uh, beats derevinchenko which is uh this saturday actually um but I would, I would love to see the Billy Joe fight still, um, if that could happen. Um, yeah, I think Andrade, Billy Joe, great fight. It's the one I want to see. Yeah, we all do. We all certainly echo that. Um, yeah, uh, a friend of the show, Andre, the man that was on a few weeks ago before this fight. Well, at the time, he actually thought he was taking on Saunders, but still a good interview nonetheless. And he reminded us that the Danny Jacobs fight is one that can happen. And he also reminded us that the pair met as amateurs and Andre got the win. So uh, <laughs> he liked telling me that one. Moving up the card for the last time here, the final fight to mention on this bill. Um, Farmer, Tevin Farmer, put his IBF world super featherweight title on the line against James Tennyson, a man that I mean, he earned the shot um, after beating Martin J. Ward, he looked phenomenal but that was at that level there he stepped up in class here, he dared to be great, credit to him um, it was a, a, a huge mammoth step up in class actually um, I think that Tennyson came in trying to put pressure on Farmer straight away but Farmer was too cute, he was too clever he was too silky and Ultimately, he was too good for Tennyson, and Tennyson was being made to miss a lot, which we we kind of come to expect, really. And um, a left hook to the body of Tennyson dropped him in the fourth round. A good shot picked out there from Farmer. Um, Farmer did hit Tennyson um, again in the fifth round with a brutal body shot, and Tennyson almost went to his knees because it was such a shot. He almost went to his knees, but he stayed on his feet, and seconds later... 
Um, Tevin Farmer, as spiteful as he is, he landed the exact same shot in the exact same place, and of course, down went Tennyson, and the referee waved it off. There are levels to this game which we hear time and time again, but um, you know, for Tevin Farmer and his point of view, him being a friend of the show, a great way to beat his man here. But credit, like I say, all goes to Tennyson. You know, I don't think he really deserved the shot after beating Martin J. Ward, but who really cares? I mean, he, he earned his, his shot. Um, he, he was world-ranked anyway before the Martin J. Ward fight, so, you know, it wasn't just that fight that got him it. But that was his biggest, in my eyes, high-profile win. And off the back of that, you know, he's got the shot. So uh, credit to him. Like I say, he jumped up in class, but um, he just simply wasn't good enough despite the, the huge size difference. Um, hopefully he gained some U.S. fans, though. I think a lot of people were enjoying the way he was putting the pressure on early, so hopefully his exposure has gone up. Um, if you want to say a sentence or two on that one, Umar, you can. If not, I was going to move on to the next card. It's up to you. Yeah, Tevin's arm was probably... The outstanding performance of the night. I think Eddie said that as well in his interview um, with Coogan. Um, and the, the fight we all want to see is the Javante Davis fight. I think that would be a great fight. I think before this fight on Saturday night with Farmer and Tennyson, most people would pick Javante, but Javante's inactivity, etc. And, and Tevin's brilliant performance on Saturday night, it'd be much closer. So that's the one we want to see. Very well said. And moving over now to the final card to mention. Just one fight that happened over here to mention at the Park Theatre in Las Vegas, Nevada. This bill was shown on Box Nation. Um, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I haven't had enough time to sit down and watch it. Um, Ryota Morata, um, former former very good amateur and obviously um, world champion. He's now a former world champion because he went into this fight with a record of 14-1. and one. The one loss was to Hassan and Dam in which he avenged and he also brought his world title in this in this fight here, his WBA world middleweight crown. He lost it to Rob Brandt, 23-1 and one going in now 24-1. and one. A unanimous decision to Rob Brandt. Um, quite a clear winner from what I've heard. Um, Rob Brent, for those that may remember, he's the guy that entered the World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Tournament. Now, the weird thing is, he was the sole American participant in this tournament uh, when it when it happened the first time around the World Boxing Super Series. And he was the guy that was supposed to spark the interest. He was undefeated at the time. And the problem is, straight away in the first round, he took on Jurgen Bremer. Now, the interesting thing was that Rob Brandt was a middleweight that went up to super middleweight for that fight, and and uh, and Jurgen Bremer was a light heavyweight that went down. So Jurgen Bremer moved down, this guy moved up, and then Bremer ended up getting the win. So um, we didn't really think much of Rob Brandt because that was it. He disappeared. I think he got a win or two, and then he was back here against Morata. I think Morata was supposed to win it very easily, and it was a huge shock. A lot of people saying it's upset of the year. Um, like I say, Umar, credit to Rob Brandt. I haven't seen the fight. If you've seen it, then add something to it. But if you haven't, then we'll just move on. Can't say I've seen it. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But yeah, like I say, we've gone into great detail there on the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, there is one last thing to do. That is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former British light heavyweight champion. It's, of course, Mr. Frank Buglioni. Frank, welcome back on the show. It's been a little while. Thanks, Jerry. No, good to be back. 
Uh, it's always good to have you back. It's actually been over a year. It's been a long time. When we last spoke, wow. funny enough, we were talking about your upcoming fight against Callum Johnson the first time when it was supposed to happen on the uh, the Joshua Pulev undercard. It has been a long time, but yep. like I say, um, in that time, obviously, you fought a very brave Craig Richards. You lost to Johnson. You've bounced back since with a win over Emmanuel Fozou. Um, how's things going with you right now, Frank, firstly? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a very good place uh, mentally and physically. I've um, I've obviously got my next opponent and uh, date lined up, so no, I'm feeling feeling very good and uh, very optimistic. And I want to ask you a little bit of a pointless but kind of interesting question at the same time. Now, right before the Callum Johnson fight, um, you know, you, you were offered a fight against, I believe it was Kovalev and Andre Ward, which you turned down for, for good reason. Yeah. And you were also um, obviously in a position to fight Callum Johnson, which you did, and then Callum Johnson upset the odds. And frankly, no one thought that he would win the fight in the first round. Obviously, a first-round stoppage looks like the worst way to lose a fight. But you knowing yourself, and you knowing that you would have been up against it, against a Kovalev, against a Ward, if you could go back in time, Frank, would you have rather just vacated the British and went and had that fight? Because chances of them getting you in a round would be quite, you know, quite slim. Yeah, yeah, but um, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you know what? True. I wouldn't change anything because the, uh, the the way I feel that my boxing has improved fight upon fight. Um, the Callum Johnson fight it was just um, they got the tactics dead right. They, uh, I think, they planned to gamble and start early and uh, go for broke, and uh, it paid off for him. Um, he let he land. I mean, I landed a good right hand first. I thought I hurt him, and. Uh, I was going to seize the opportunity, and uh, obviously as I've come in, he's called a good shot himself, and and piled on the pressure and, and forced a stoppage. So no, I take my hat off to him. He's um he's a renowned puncher, um probably one of the most powerful punchers in the light heavyweight division, um certainly in the country, if not the world. Um, we see that with what he did to Baturbiev. Um I mean that that goes on a different different um, turn. He could have been a world champion right now, and. Uh, Beat the uh, one of the best lightweights in the world. So I know I know my ability. Um, people write me off after that and say, "Ah, oh, all he is is British level. We can't get to the world level." But the way I see it, I got caught by a world class puncher early. Got caught cold, and um, I didn't recover in time. But that world class puncher also put Baturbiev on his ass, and uh, I mean Baturbiev didn't know where he was. So there's there's no question in his power. It's just that I was unfortunate to catch it so early without landing more of my own. And people forget that Johnson did, obviously it wasn't intentional, but he landed a lovely headbutt, actually, just before he started throwing his hands, which kind of you know started the whole thing. But um, just quickly before we move on to your next fight, I was going to ask you about the Baturbiev fight. What was your reaction to his performance? Very valiant effort. Yeah, oh, you again, got to take your hat off to him because... Do you know what though? When it was when people were saying talking about the Baturbiev fight, I knew he was up against it, but I knew he was in with a shot. He had a, he's he's obviously he's got what's called a, a puncher's chance. Um, when when you can punch that hard, then uh, you have you have potential to upset the odds in any fight. Um, but that being said, um, I'd certainly I'd, I'd relish the opportunity to have a rematch, and uh, I know that I would set the record straight. But he's um he's certainly uh he's he's got to be respected and he's got to be admired for how he's come back after adversity and uh and shown his uh his true fighting spirit. 
Yeah, yeah, he certainly has, and he's got a, he's got a cool story actually. The whole you know the whole father thing and all the rest of that. But on to the next one for you now, Frank. You're fighting Fan Long Meng, who obviously isn't a well known name yep. to non to non hardcore boxing fans. I'd like to call him, but this guy is no joke. He's six foot two. He's a southpaw. He was a good amateur. He's a former Olympian. But as a professional, this yep. is certainly his big test. This is a big step up for him. Is there anything else that we know about him, Frank? Um, he was he was obviously an Olympian. He was a good. He was a well-decorated amateur. So, no, he's a, he's a decent fighter. But, um, as you say, this is his acid test, and uh, he's not going to come through it. Um, he hasn't mixed with the caliber of opponents that I've mixed with, and he certainly hasn't mixed with the caliber of opponent that I, I present. Um, so, the other thing is, I'm very, very good against taller opponents. Um, my, my record against taller opponents is a flawless one. And uh, in the amateurs or the pros, I've always performed well against guys that are taller than me. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of advantages I've got going into the fight, and um, I'll be I'll be looking to exploit them. You say there that the, uh, you know you've got a good record against taller guys. You've also got a good record against yeah. southpaws. You've only fought two of them, but do you know how you got yeah. on with both of those guys? Yeah, stopped them both in the first round. There we go. Um, there was also another fellow that was a switcher, Joe Ray, and um, I stopped him in two rounds. So, I, yeah, again, Southpaws, they suit my style. Um, they, they certainly suit my attributes. And um, I'll, be, I'll be looking to, to show how good I am against Southpaws. It's something that I've kind of had a fortunate um, position to be in throughout all my different training camps and different training um, trainers. So with Mark Tibbs, I was fine. Billy Joe Saunders, Freddie Turner. Um, we have plenty of good southpaws down at the TKO gym that I used to work with. Um, then, obviously, that uh, prior to that, in the amateurs, um, on the Olympic team, I had Fred Evans. I had some very good amateur southpaws that I used to spar regularly against. Um, then when I went to Ireland, I had um, a couple of very good southpaws in the gym. And then there was also um, Ward that used to um, come in for regular sparring standout amateur um, and then yeah as I say I've, I've had great South Force fine this camp in the likes of James Bigal Woody Camacho um, Darius Set, um, George Crotty um, some top top amateur boys as well so I've, uh, I've had plenty of good uh, South Force experience over the years Excellent, excellent. Now, I want to ask you also, Frank, what was actually your reason for taking this fight? Because, like you say there, I mean, the Callum Johnson fight couldn't have been done this soon, obviously, but the other guys out there, like your Josea Burtons, like perhaps an Anthony Yard, even though there seems to be many roadblocks, um, I mean, I'd have thought there were surely bigger fights to be made in the UK in terms of interest rather than this guy. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, do you know what? I, I kind of, I was, I was milling around thinking, what about domestically? But do you know what? No one domestically um, has anything real, real to offer, and I think the Anthony Yard thing—it's a lot of—it's a lot of talk and not a lot of action. And um, I just, for me, I thought, Do you know what? I'll go away. I'll, uh, I'll go and win a belt in my own right. I'll go a fight, fight away from home, and um, take care of business. And then I come back, and I've got something to offer then. So the uh, the financial implications will be a lot more on my side once I've uh, won this fight. 
And like we say, the fight is set for November the 24th in Monte Carlo. It is for the IBF Intercontinental Strap. So hopefully, like you say, a win there will open the door for a bigger fight down the line. Um, yeah, well, I'll have a, I'll have a top 10 uh, world ranking with the IBF. And um, it puts me in the puts me in the kind of in the eyes of the governing bodies and and the contenders. So it's a, it's a, it's a very good stepping stone for me. Absolutely. And Frank, I want to get your opinion on a couple of other things that are happening kind of in and around your weight class. Um, if I can, I want to kind of get your opinion on who you'd say is like the, the you know the best kind of fighters at light heavyweight domestically. If you take yourself out of the equation, you know it leaves it leaves yep. a real talent pool. I mean, you've got the likes of um, Callum Johnson, you've got the likes of Yard, Burton, Buatzi, Jake Ball, Craig Richards. We've got a throw yep. Miles Shinkwin in there, of course, as well. Um, who, yeah, of course. Who are who are your top five if you can go for them? Um, well, at the moment, on on current form. Um, you've got to say Callum Johnson's the top. Yeah. Um, then I'd, I'd go Jose Burton. Um, I respect Jose Burton. I think he's a very skillful fire. I think he's got um, great uh, natural advantages, his height and his range, and uh, he can certainly punch. Um, and then I think uh, it's out of Boatsy and Yard probably that takes the, uh, the the third spot here. Um yeah, so that one of those guys would be number three, and one would be number four. I mean, you probably have to say with the experience, um, it'd be yard. But looking at the way Buak is going about his business, then um, I think it's a very close one. My gym mate Miles Shinkin, he's uh, he's doing really well, um, and he continues to impress in the gym, and he's um, he's improving every camp. But um, he just needs to get himself a good quality win get himself back into the uh, title contention yeah for sure um, I feel like he's kind of underrated a lot of the time he's been very unlucky Miles Shinkwin but um, Frank just before we let you go is there anything else that you want to say at all to our listeners just before we let you go well I'm going to uh, I'm going to put on a very good clinical performance um, November 24th in Monaco so yeah enjoy that one and uh, I'll be in some, some big fights in uh, 2019 so thanks for the support and uh I look forward to being part of some massive uh, dust-ups in the future. Hey, we always wish you the absolute best, like I say. Listen, Frank, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Like I say, 24th of November, Monte Carlo. I wish you absolutely all the best, and we shall catch up sometime after. We won't leave it another year. (laughs) That's it. Jerry, top man. Thanks very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part usually is the news part, but I'm just going to round up a few little bits of news at the very end of the show. Um, So we will get into that at the very end of the show. But firstly, let's start here with the preview part of the show. We're going to start in a place called Soleil du Monde Dior, which is um, a very bad French way of saying... Uh, what this venue is called. We've got one fight to mention over here. It's gone under the radar, and that's what we do best on this show. We like to dig up the fights that have gone under the radar. So here we go in France. Ilunga Makabu, former opponent of Tony Bellew, the brother of Martin Bacoli, who obviously lost the other week to Mark, uh, to Michael Hunter. Um, Makabu, 22-2. and two. He's an eight-rounder, very randomly, against a guy called Pata Aduashvili who has a record of 26 wins, 24 losses, and three draws. No idea what the Congolese man's doing in France, but we don't question it. Moving over now, though, to York Hall, Bethnal Green. This one happening 
on Friday. Um, a few fights to mention on the undercard. Um, it's a shame, but Rosanna Cox, the lady, um, the, the, the New Zealand um, native, was supposed to be making her debut here, but unfortunately that fight has fell through due to some kind of delay with getting her license. Um, hopefully she shall be making her debut before the year is out, but we also have on this bill Johnny Coyle, 19-0 and with one draw. He takes on Angel... Emilov, who's 8-22, and 22, another kind of keep-busy fight, I guess, for Johnny Coyle. A, a good fighter, though, I believe in Johnny Coyle. Um, also, we have Dan Aziz, 5-0, taking on Philip Cote, 32-13, with two draws. Um, Cote fought someone not that long ago. I can't remember who it was, but... Um he fought someone not that long ago. That's that's a big step up there for Dan Aziz. Um, I've got to check that one out. But um, just just while I do that, Michael McKinson, Umar, fourteen and zero, taking on Sammy McNess, ten and one for the WBC International Silver Welterweight Title. McKinson, the champion, but certainly a fifty fifty fight. This one, yeah, hundred percent. It's a brilliant fight. The whole card's very good actually. Um, but yeah, that's a great fight. Sammy McNess, obviously. Suffering that loss to Cena Byfield, but it's come back well. Um, I think when was the last time he was out? That MTK show in Brentwood about a month ago, um, and he looked very good. He's happy under Gary Logan. So, yeah, it should be a very good fight. And that whole bill was actually very good, as you said, Dan Aziz uh, fighting Cody, who, who fought Jake Ball recently. I think that might be that's the person it. you're referring yes, to. Yes, yeah, it. yeah. So, it's a good bill, yeah. Yeah, the thing about Cody, I'm just looking at his record right now. As you mentioned there, Jake Ball, I mean, he's been in there with um, with with uh, some crazy level of competition. I mean, he's been in there with Isaac Ekpo. He's been in there with Habib Ahmed, who recently fought for the WBO Super Middleweight World title against Gilberto Ramirez. He really has mixed it with some people, and now he's getting in with Dan Aziz. And the one thing about Cody is he can certainly punch, so that one is a real step up for him. Um, you mentioned there the, the McKinson and McNess fight. I'm going to move up the bill once again. We have Sonny Edwards, 8-0. He puts his WBO European super flyweight strap on the line against Ryan Farag, 19-3. Another huge, huge step up here for a prospect. Um, I mean, Sonny Edwards, he... Uh, you know, we look at this guy, obviously the brother of Charlie. We look at his amateur career, a good fighter, very, very good boxer. And Ryan Farag, a man who has only really lost to top, top guys. I mean, he lost to, to Lee Haskins, which was in the prize fighter, a three-round fight, which you can't take much you know, you can't take much from really. Obviously, Lee Haskins went on to become a world champion. He then lost at European level. I don't think there's too much shame in that, you know, for the proper EBU title. And then he lost to Ryan Burnett, who I don't need to remind everyone is a phenomenal fighter, a world champion undefeated. So his losses have come to very good opponents. And he takes on Sonny Edwards here, a man who, uh, you know, provides a different kind of test. Yeah, Sonny... Um hasn't really had that marquee name yet on his record. I think if he does go and beat uh, Farag and defend his title successfully, that'll be a, a huge step up and a, and a big statement from Sonny. Um, there's a bit of bad blood between them them two as well, well quite a lot, actually. Um, Sonny seems to get in a bit of ag with quite a lot of people, but um, there's edge to this one. Um, and yeah, as I say, if Sonny does come through, uh, on Friday night, that will be a big, big win for him. It certainly will be. And talking about 
Sonny Edwards having ag with people. He's actually not best pleased with me right now, but I won't go into that situation. He's, uh, <laughs> he's not, he's, I'm not his best friend at the minute, but despite all that, I'm picking him to win on points on the Prediction League this week. Ayaz is going with Edwards to win on points also, and the listeners are going with Edwards by knockout, so that could be quite interesting, but we're all in Edwards's corner in terms of the predictions, not nothing personal, of course. Uh, moving over now, though, to the Arena Armique in Sofia, Bulgaria. We have, um, I'm going to start with the undercard here, actually. We've got Savannah Marshall, 3-0. and She takes on a lady that's undefeated, 4-0, and called Yanina Orozco. 10-2 um, minute rounds there. We also have the younger brother of Kubrat Pulev. His name, Tavel Pulev, 11-0. and I think he's about 36 years of age, though, so he's not too young. Um, he's in a 12-rounder against Leonardo Bruzzesi, who's 19-5. and Um... Bogdan Dinu, 18-0, takes on Tom Little. I almost didn't see that one. Um, that's a 10-rounder there. Tom Little, 10-6. and six. And the main event here, Kubrat Pulev, 25-1. and one. And obviously, in the other corner, our very own Huey Fury, 21-1. and one. Um, I know that there's a lot of shows this, this, this weekend. Umar, obviously, the one in York Hall, a few in America. I'm guessing the IFL are not sending anyone out there to Bulgaria for this one. <laughs> No, uh, Coogan is actually flying out um, oh, wow. to Bulgaria, to him. and we'll be covering that. So I'll be doing the Cobblebox show while he'll be in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. Yeah, shout out to Coogan putting his air miles in. Um, <laughs> the fight, though, the fight itself. I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much, but I just think this fight could potentially be a little bit hard to watch, and I say that because. It's the heavyweight division, so people expect fireworks, people expect big knockouts. Um, I'm not saying that the fight can't end in knockouts, but I just think that Huey Fury, such, you know, he possesses such a fantastic jab. Um, I think his power is a little bit underrated, to be honest with you. I think he punches harder than people give him credit for, just because he wasn't blowing away everyone like Anthony Joshua was in the same fashion. People kind of sleep on his power, I think. Um, Kubrat Pulev, another man who possesses a wicked jab. I remember him wobbling Vladimir Klitschko with a jab in like the first few seconds of their clash. Um, you know, a brilliant, brilliant fight, this one. Like I say, it's gone under the radar, so I feel a little bit sad for Huey because I think he deserves a lot more credit than what he's being given. His one loss was very questionable, a fight which I actually felt he won. Um, and then, you know, Joseph Parker went his way. He went and got the big fight against Joshua. And Huey Fury dropped down and took on Sam Sexton. So both men have gone completely different paths and this is a huge fight for him but it is on the road and I think I'm going to just put this out there I think Huey Fury wins on points I think he's too mobile I think he's too active for uh, for, for Pulev at this part of his career but I wouldn't be surprised if Pulev won and I think if it's close I don't think the judges are going to do Huey a favour here um, I can just imagine what Peter would be telling him. Peter's going to say, listen, you didn't even get the decision um, in Manchester when you took on Joseph Parker. So you know that if the judges didn't do you a favour in Manchester in your backyard, they're not going to do you a favour here. So you need to be on your game. I can imagine the way he's saying it to him. I can just imagine him saying it. I've got his voice in my head saying what he'd be saying. And um, that is the kind of... The kind of um, the kind of mindset he'll be instilling into Huey Fury, who, I don't know if anyone's seen him, I think he's had a shave now, but he looked like a caveman, he's been completely locking himself away and getting in shape, so I think, I'm expecting a good performance from Huey, like I say, I'm not quite sure the fight's going to be 
fireworks, but I think that Huey's going to just be so on his game. I think his feet are going to be fantastic. They need to be, and I think he's going to box and move. I don't think he's going to try and mix it up with Pulev, because I think that's probably the wrong tactics, but I think he can box his ears off if he really you know, turns up with his with his head screwed on on his game, I think he wins with his output. Um, but like I say, if it goes to the cards, I'm not expecting the, the the judges to do him a favor. Very tough fight to go on the road for Umar, but the winner, t- you know, the winner gets that that mandatory slot for AJ. Yeah, I mean a huge week um, weekend for MTK, obviously with the with the show on Friday, and then a massive night for them with Huey uh, in Bulgaria. Um, yeah, Huey. No, sort of, didn't do any harm to himself in that Joseph Parker fight, um, taking it at such a, at such a young age, um, fighting for a world title. And I agree, I thought, I don't know how you scored it, but I thought he nicked it. Um, close fight, but I thought he, he, he still nicked it. Could have done more. Um, but as you say, if he didn't get the decision in Manchester, it's going to be very tough to get it in Bulgaria. I don't think it ends in knockout. Um, two very good technical boxers. Pulev is massively underrated. I don't think people realise how good he is. Um, and I think with Huey Fury, it's the same. I think, arguably, he's the most underrated British fighter. Um, he said before the Sam Sexton fight that you're going to see a more ruthless um, Huey Fury. Now I get Sam Sexton um, and Joseph Parker are not the same fighter. But the job he did on Sam Sexton was very impressive. You've got to realise Sam's been around the game a long time. Um, it was a it was a brilliant performance from Huey Fury uh, straight after a loss to Joseph Parker, and he's back in right at the top, one of the best heavyweights in the world, definitely top ten. Pulev travelling to Bulgaria when really no one goes. Um, people have been offered that fight with Pulev before, and and, and no one takes it. Um, but Huey and Peter Fury have, have stepped up to the plate. The only concern is, I don't think it ends in knockout. Um, and Huey's going to have to do a huge amount uh, to get the decision, a bit like Tyson did uh, in Dusseldorf. Um, but if it's anything like 8-4 or 7-5 in Huey's favour, um, I don't think he'll get it. I really fear for him. But good luck to him. It's on Channel 5, so tune in. Hopefully everyone in Britain gets behind him. He deserves it. Um, young kid, very nice. Tremendous talent, and uh, he's taken three really tough fights back to back. Parker, Sam Sexton, winning the British, and now Kubrat Pulev in Bulgaria um, at a chance at uh, Joshua's belt. So, best of luck to him. Absolutely, absolutely. Leaving Bulgaria alone now and moving out to Germany at the Stad Hall in Weissenfelds. I think that's, yeah, Weissenfelds in Saxon and Hall. I do like to get my. Uh, my uh, my my pronunciation going. I'm not very good at it though, Omar. If you may, if you may realise, um, Dominic Bozell, twenty-seven and one, the current EBU European light heavyweight champion. He takes on Enrico Colin, who many people may remember took on Arta Baturbiev. I think it was when the the IBF light heavyweight title was vacant. I know it was definitely for a world title. I'm not sure if. Um, if Baturbiev was the champion at the time and it was a defence or the belt was vacant, but it doesn't matter too much. Colin almost ended um, Baturbiev's knockout streak, because obviously every fight Baturbiev's been in has ended in knockout, but he made it, or he lasted the longest, he made it into the 12th round, and he made it to about 15 seconds left in the round, and he got up as well, so I think the referee kind of helped out Baturbiev and let him keep his streak going, but... um, 
yeah, very unlucky to not survive the distance, Enrico Colin. So I've got him down in my books as quite a tough man. Um, Bozell's not really the biggest puncher, so I'm expecting this one to go to points. But a good fight there for the belt. And we'd love to see Anthony Yard in the mix with those guys. I think it's a very winnable fight. I have a guy here for him. Um, moving out now to Spain at a place called the... Oh, I'm going to really get my pronunciation. You ready for this one, Umar, yeah? I am. Okay, this one is at the... Polideportivo Fernando Martin in a place called Fuenlabrada. He's done well there. <laughs> that's for you. That is for you, Omar. That's my, that's my gift to you. Um, we have here Mark Vidal, a guy that many people wouldn't have heard of. His record is 11-1 with five draws. Count that. Five draws. He puts his EBU European featherweight title on the line against former world champion Kiko Martinez. Obviously, we know him, 38-8 and eight with two draws. Vidal, you'd think, what's he doing in the ring against a guy like Kiko? Well, Vidal and Kiko fought before, and the fight happened back in May, and it ended up being a technical draw. I think there was a cut or something that opened, so this is a rematch. So a lot of people expecting Kiko to win this one, but like I say, before, it ended up being a technical draw after three rounds. They had to stop the fight, but this is Kiko's chance to pick up another major belt here, the EBU European featherweight title. Mark Vidal certainly doesn't need another draw. Very unlucky to get five in the... In, in 17 fights. So uh, that's it for Spain. Like I say, we like to dig up the fights that go underneath the radar. Moving over now to the Copper Box Arena. Um, obviously, at Eddie Hearn show, this one in London. We're going to start with George Fox, 1-0. His opponent yet to be announced, of course, George Fox. For those that don't remember, he's the son of Don Charles. So uh, that would be quite good, a heavyweight clash there. Whoever he ends up fighting. I was at his debut at York Hall. Uh, Reese Bellotti, he gets in at the ring once again. His record 12-1. and one. I believe it's the first fight back since being stopped by Ryan Doyle. Um, Martin J. Ward gets in once again. His record 19-1 and one with two draws. He's in search of win number 20. He's in an eight-rounder. His opponent yet to be confirmed. Felix Cash fights for a belt here. His first title is going to be the vacant WBC International Silver Middleweight title. He takes on Stephen Danio, who's 14-1. and one with three draws um, Felix Cash like I say 9-0 and oh. I'm just trying to see that guy Danyo why do I think I've seen him before um, why do I think I've seen him before he's been in there with oh he's been in there with Lloyd Ellett okay I've seen that one I've seen that one okay so decent little step up there for Felix Cash uh, fantastic fight to mention here Isaac Chamberlain 9-1 and one, takes on Luke the Duke Watkins 13-1 and one. both men haven't fought since losing their only... Uh, I don't want to make this confusing. Both men haven't fought since... I'm not very good at wording this, Umar. <laughs> <laughs> both men haven't fought since their sole defeats, which both came at the hands of Lawrence Ocoli. That's the best way to say it. Isaac Chamberlain, Luke Watkins, like I say here, Umar, a 10-round contest, a very, a very, very, very good fight. Um... It's kind of it's a shame that both men have come to this so soon. But a lot of people saying, well, the loser, you know, they're in a terrible place because it would be two losses back-to-back and the winner goes on to something big. I don't really agree with that. I'm not quite sure the loser is absolutely done. But it is a 50-50 fight. And this bill, this is just the first 50-50 of, of the fights on this bill. This bill is packed with 50-50s. I'm a huge fan of this card. Yeah, it is a brilliant card. I mean, every fight. You wouldn't be surprised 
if the other person won it. Um, talking about Chamberlain Watkins there, um, for me, top four, top five, definitely in the top five to the cruiserweights in Britain. Um, obviously, both got a point to prove after the Cody losses, um, especially with Isaac, because you know what? Okay, Watkins was deemed as a as a close fight with a Cody as well, but if you look at a Cody Chamberlain before that. I think it was 50-50, but if anything, people picking Chamberlain more, and he was obviously really disappointed in that night. He'll be the first to admit it. Um, and he's jumped straight back in there, um, as I said, with a top five uh, British cruiserweight in uh, in Luke Watkins. And it's the same for Watkins. He's, he's got a point to prove um, after the Okoli defeat. Obviously, a shorter night than compared to Chamberlain. Uh, got sort of banged out. Um, in a few rounds, but but yeah, a great fight, and um, I agree. I don't think the loser's done in that fight because you, you've lost to a Coley, who's now a British champion and is touted for for massive things, and and you've lost to another really good British cruiserweight. So I don't think you're done, but obviously you're not in a great position. Um, you're going to have to really make your way back up. But as you said, that card is just stacked with fifty fifties. I mean, Doyle Gill. Is, is going under the radar a bit, but I think that's an excellent, excellent fight as well. Certainly, certainly is. Um, just, I'm going to quickly throw my prediction in here, Umar. I know that you're, you being an IFL guy likes to sit on the fence, which is absolutely fine. Um, I'm going with Chamberlain to win this one on points. I think he can out-hustle um, Watkins. I still believe in Chamberlain. I think the size played a huge part in that fight against Akoli, and I think he just had a little bit of an off night. I mean, it was very underwhelming, like you mentioned, but... I just think he can out-hustle him and fiddle his way to a points win. Um, I, I'd be quite surprised if he was able to stop Watkins. I think Watkins also has a point to prove. A lot of people um, just think he was a big hype job. I mean, we've got to remember that this guy held the Commonwealth strap. Um, Chamberlain hasn't held a major belt or anything. That's, you know, he got the Southern area fine. A great fight against Camacho. Again, one of the best fights I've ever seen live. You mentioned earlier about Corcoran and... Uh, and and Gartam. Um but yeah, a great fight once again. But for me I think I think Chamberlain on points. The listeners agree with me, but Iaz goes with Chamberlain by knockout, so interesting stuff there for the prediction league. Moving up the bill once again, we mention or you mentioned there Umar Ryan Doyle seventeen and two with one draw takes on Jordan Gill twenty one and oh this one for the Commonwealth featherweight title, a belt that Doyle took away from Bellotti when he stopped him. Um, I thought Bellotti was going to destroy Doyle, and I have to say so, and I made I made myself out to look a complete idiot, actually. Um, the way Doyle won that fight was unbelievable. Very, um, I mean, when you look at his, his, his two losses, you kind of, that's what I did. I looked at his two losses, and I thought, this guy is not all that. I mean, Bellotti's going to just destroy him. Bellotti hits like a, like a, you know, like a, he hits like a mule's kick kind of thing, and I just thought, nah, he's not winning this fight. And the way he dealt with Bellotti, like I say, was so impressive, and he really, really can bang. And his record doesn't even suggest it. He's got, you know, he's got nine wins by knockout out of his seventeen wins. I mean, the two times he's lost, he's been stopped. One was to James Tennyson. One was to Ian Baby, who is a little bit of a journeyman. So, for him to come back after that Tennyson loss. 
I mean, it's amazing for him, and he's got some real momentum now against the guy here who's undefeated in 21, like Jordan Gill, and he hasn't really had that proper test in my eyes, Jordan Gill, obviously trained by Dave Caldwell, but this is his proper first test, and in some ways, I want to say that Jordan Gill's career's been a little bit like Zelfa Barrett's in the respect that he hasn't really fought anyone of note, and he's made it to like 20 and 0, 21 and 0, and this is his first test, and a lot of people are backing him to win I'm against that I think Doyle stops him um, yeah I think majority of people are saying Gil they're saying he's going to be too classy and probably went on points uh, the comparison of Zelfa Barrett I haven't heard that one before but that's a very good comparison actually listen it's, it's a brilliant fight as you said um, Belotti was considered one of the best featherweights you know outside the, the world level mix in Britain um, Belotti notably is, is, on, is on this card as well um, looking to worm his way back into the scene. Um, but Doyle Gill is a good fight, 50-50. Most probably picking Gill. Um, but then how can you write off Doyle? You know, he wrote him off against Belotti. Um, why write him off against someone who hasn't, as you said, hasn't really had that step-up fight yet? But Gill's, interestingly, he's come out with comments saying, you know, if I'm not ready now, then, then when will I be? So fair play to him and, Fair play to Dor for his first defence of that that strap uh, against uh, Jordan Gill. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, another fifty-fifty fight there. I'm not I'm not getting away from that. I just think that you know, even though I've picked Doyle to to win by stoppage, it doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's going to be one-sided or anything. I think that Gill um, is an extremely fit guy, and I think for the first few rounds it will be very interesting. Um, as you say, it's kind of gone under the radar with the other 50-50s. And one 50-50 that has fell through, unfortunately, Jake Ball against Craig Richards. Not going to go into it too much because what's really the point? But it was a shame because a few weeks ago we had both men on the same show with us. Um, I think we had Jake on the first part of the show and Craig on the second part. And it was quite cool having them both on, having them both share their very different opinions on that fight. And it's, it's fallen through due to Jake Ball picking up a slight injury with his hand. I shouldn't say slight, he's picked up an injury and that's that. So um, hopefully he recovers quickly and the pair can get it on before the calendar year is up. Um, moving up the card once again here, let's mention the... Uh, the Ted Cheeseman, this is a brilliant fight. Ted Cheeseman, 14-0, and 0, takes on a senior Byfield, 14-1. and 1. This one, a 12-round contest for the vacant British Super Welterweight title. Unbelievable fight. One that could seriously, seriously steal the show. Yeah, great fight. And uh, I'd love the, the winner to face Anthony Fowler. It might be a bit early in, in Fowler's career, but listen, he's got that massive amateur pedigree so so why not I'd, I'd love to see the winner face Anthony Fowler yeah I second that um, I'm going to go with on that one Cheeseman points Ayers has gone with that and so have the listeners so uh, I just think Cheeseman's so solid I mean a senior Byfield's so slick as well so I think that could be a brilliant brilliant fight but for me I just think Cheeseman gets it um Moving up the card, I think this one's the final fight to mention here, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. John Ryder tops the bill. 26-4, 12-round contest against Andrei Sorokin. 15-0, and an undefeated Russian here. A 12-round contest, like I say. Um, I said it to John Ryder. I mean, he's. you look at his last few fights, he's really, really... You know, took on good opponent after good opponent time and time again. 
and it's all just to get a world title shot. And I think he's gone such a long route, and he's prepared to literally fight anyone in the world. He's one of the few people that have said to me, do you know what, Jose Uzcategui, the guy that holds the gal's belt, he's nothing. He thinks he's a world beater. I'll beat him, I'll take him on. He's very confident, and he truly is one of the guys in boxing that would fight anyone. I think he would fight absolutely anyone. He's a little bit nuts, but we do love him on this show. Um, he actually sent me a nice picture the other day wearing a Box Hard podcast t-shirt which is a good thing for us um yeah another another difficult fight another man that he gets in with that you know could be really good a very a very um you know a decent looking pro record i mean nothing really stands out too much on his record but undefeated perfect record a good amateur and um you know in some people's eyes it's another 50 50 i would love to see him win and i'm gonna go with him by knockout because again he's one of the nicest guys i truly hope he wins umar there's not two brits in this ring let's 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 get it out there we're picking john Ryder. i'm sure you're with me on that 100 percent. i've got Ryder. i'm not gonna lie uh, I don't know too much about the opponent. Um, the Russians are saying he, he's a very good fighter, and, and, and they've Eddie Hearn and, and Ryder have made a mistake. Um, but yeah, I'm backing. I'm backing Ryder. What a sort of up and down career John Ryder's had, but yeah. brilliant to see him in this position, topping a topping a matchroom card on Sky Sports. Um, and uh, he gets a shot at, at Callum Smith's belt if he comes through. Um, so it's a it's a final eliminator. So a big night ahead for John Ryder. I hope he does it. We certainly, certainly do. Uh, moving over now, though, to the Newport Centre in Wales, United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here: the return of Andrew Selby, a man that um, you know was on a real roll, knocking on the door for a world title. Then bizarrely had his had his license taken away from him. I'm looking to try and get him on the show, um, perhaps next week. Um, Andrew has been ready to come on the show, really, for a couple of weeks, but still no opponent for him yet. So for me, I'm just going to probably wait till the fight's done and uh, and then talk about the fight rather than kind of talk about not much. I think we caught up with him after his last fight. So um, rather than just talk about why he had his, his license revoked for a little period, he's probably pretty pointless i think some people know some people don't know but we will talk about that but we'll probably try and get him on next week or the week after so all the very best to andrew selby a friend of the show he has a record of 10 and 0 it's a six rounder there like i say no opponent as of yet a sanagar card there in wales moving over now to the lakefront arena in new orleans louisiana usa the backyard of regis progre 22 and 0 he puts his interim wbc world super lightweight title on the line i'm also told that his wbc diamond belt i think is on the line as well i'm very confused because it doesn't say that here but he told me himself that his diamond belt's on the on the line which i didn't even know he he actually owned the diamond belt i'm not quite sure um what the what the clear cut of that is but forget about that it's a fight we're talking about here not necessarily the belts in the other corner manchester's very own terry flanagan 33 and 1 a 12 round contest um you know, I have to favour Progray here. Um, I think he punches incredibly hard. Um, he's he's just been obliterating people at the moment. Obviously, Terry Flanagan has looked very good, but his one fight at this new weight was a loss to Maurice Hooker. He didn't look great there, but then again, I do have to say that Maurice Hooker's about seven foot ten, and um, 
Regis Progre is quite short, very, very short, actually, for the weight. So I don't think the height and the reach and the boxing skills is going to be a problem for Flanagan. But I can just see, um, I just can't really see Progre losing, whether that comes by stoppage or on points. I don't think Flanagan's going to get any favours done for him by the judges out there in the backyard of Progre. I'm going to go with Progre by knockout. Um, Ayaz is actually really, really putting... uh, Putting his his, uh, his 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 money where his mouth is here. He's saying Flanagan on points, which I just cannot see happening at all. And the listeners are going with Progre by knockout also. So me and the listeners have got have got Progre by knockout here. Um, it would be great for Flanagan to bring the belt back in terms of you know in terms of British boxing, but a very hard ask, and I think everyone knows that. Yeah, listen, Progre along with Josh Taylor is the favourite uh, for that tournament. He hits very hard as technically very good as well um flanagan coming off that loss the hooker obviously isn't going to be in the best frame of mind but listen we've seen stranger things in boxing i wouldn't rule terry flanagan out he's an experienced campaigner um yeah i wouldn't rule him out of this but obviously it'd, it'd be stupid to say i think that he, he's the favorite um you have to pick progre in this um and I think him and Taylor, Progre and Taylor, will hopefully be the final um, of the Super Series. I think that would be a brilliant fight. Um, but don't rule out uh, Turbo. No, I'm not. I'm certainly not. I think that um, this is, again, this is Regis Progre's first proper, proper fight. It, like, you know, in terms of a completely different style coming at him and an established world champion, a man that's got the experience under his belt. I think it's, it's Progre's toughest fight, really. And Progre admitted that to me himself. He said that, yeah, I, I view this as my toughest fight. The experience is with is with Terry. He acknowledges that. And um, the one interesting thing that I will throw out there, I've said it before on the podcast, I think, when the fight got made, but um, I've spoke to... Progre before about Flanagan and he said he doesn't really know much about Flanagan and then when it comes to him picking who his opponent's going to be it was out of Ryan Martin who of course has ended up going to be taking on um, Josh Taylor and it was out of him and Flanagan and he chose Flanagan and as soon as he chose Flanagan I couldn't believe it I thought he'd probably choose Martin and I texted him straight away like literally a few minutes after the draft happened in Moscow and I said to him I thought you didn't know anything about Flanagan. And he texts back, I don't. <laughs> so he's a bit crazy, but he likes to test himself. And we do like Progre on this show. Good friend of the show. Also on that bill, we've got Ivan Baranchik, 18-0. and 0. He takes on Anthony Yijit, 21-0 and 0, with one draw. Yijit, obviously a very, very good fighter, actually. A Swedish fighter, a former opponent in the amateurs of Josh Taylor. That one's for the vacant IBF World Super Lightweight title. Another World Boxing Super Series um, fight there. Um, also, moving over now to Madison Square Garden at the Theatre in Madison Square Garden. Not the big the big venue. This is very much the Theatre in MSG. New York, USA. Uh, Matchroom USA show here. Eddie Hearn, I believe, is going to be out there for that. I think Barry is going to be at the Copper Box on Saturday. Um, 
on the undercard we have Heather Hardy, twenty-one and zero. She puts a vac. Oh, sorry, not her, not her belt. The belt's vacant. The WBO World Female Featherweight Title. She takes on Shelly Vincent, who's twenty-three and one. That's a very, very, very good fight there. That again has gone under the radar with all the other fantastic fights on this weekend. But that's a ten-two-minute round contest, and I just want to want to big that up a little bit actually on this show. That's a brilliant, brilliant fight for those that like seeing women box. That is one to sink your teeth into that's a great great fight there uh, also we have really the main event is the final fight to mention here Omar Daniel Jacobs 34 and 2 takes on Sergei Derevianchenko 12 and 0 this one for the vacant IBF world middleweight title Daniel Jacobs a man who well I was going to say he's had ups and downs but I'm not so much like John Ryder has but I think you know he got to that level obviously got knocked out by Pirog um, you know, he had the, the battle with cancer, which we all know about. It's been very well documented. He came back. He won a world title. He took on the likes of um, the likes of Peter Quillen. I remember him absolutely starching him in a round and then got in there with Triple G. Lost that fight. A very, very close fight, let's not forget. And then, you know, he signed with Eddie Hearn. And since then, his career's kind of got back on track a little bit. And here he fights again for a world title. Um, one that... Uh, if I'm going to go on record and kind of say that I'm not sure it should have even been took away from Triple G, so he's kind of fortunate to be here, but everything happens for a reason, they say, and he's he's taking this fight here when he probably had a few different options instead of this fight, and he's taken on here an undefeated Ukrainian fighter, which we know undefeated Ukrainians are very, very tough in boxing. Yeah, as you said about Danny Jacobs, it's an incredible story. Um, he'll never have a tougher opponent than cancer and he, he's beat he's beat that so <laughs> everything else should be easy for him but you mentioned the Golovkin fight I thought he nicked that um, I couldn't argue with a Golovkin win um, or a draw but I thought he just about did enough um, and yeah he, the the comeback fight was amazing where he destroyed Kid Chocolate uh, no one no one thought he would as well um, but yeah tough fight this weekend uh, for the uh Vacant IBF title against Dermanchenko is a brilliant fighter from what people are saying in the trade. Lou DiBella, um, who, who promotes him, is, is is really saying that he believes he's the real deal and he'll show it against Jacobs uh, this Saturday night. But I'd have to pick Jacobs. Um, and yeah, Jacobs has got massive fights down the line if he comes through this and, and wins a world title obviously the Andrade fight both being on the matrim uh, unification fight there would be the obvious one there's obviously Billy Joe Saunders as well um, Charlo um, so uh, yeah Jacobs has got a big future if he claims his world title tonight uh, sorry tonight Saturday night um, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves yeah, <laughs> yeah getting carried away um, yeah obviously got a big future if he if he pulls it off on Saturday night and uh, Matram could have a, another middleweight champion. They certainly could. But yeah, a great, great fight. I won't really add too much to it. You've kind of said everything there, Umar. But I will just reveal my pick here. I'm going to go with Jacobs by knockout. I think he gets the knockout, even though he didn't impress me overly when he took on Maciel Selecki in his last fight. Um, I don't think he looked fantastic towards the end of the fight. Um, but I think he, with the experience in the pro ranks, I think he probably wins this one by stoppage. He he really can bang, we know that. And um, the listeners and Ayaz are in agreement um, with their pick. They've gone with Jacobs on points. So uh, 
no one sharing the opinion of Lou Bella on this show. But um, yeah, it should be a good fight, like I say. There's lots to look forward to. There really is. Two shows that clash, unfortunately, um, at two different times on Saturday. Obviously, the Friday night card at York Hall. Um, nothing clashes with that that's too big. And then on Saturday, we've got Huey Fury fighting at the exact same time as the Matchroom show. Um, at the Copper Box, and then later on in the evening, the Matchroom show in the US clashes with the World Boxing Super Series card. So, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people going to be watching, going to be picking whichever show on Saturday night they want to watch, and then watching the rest on Sunday. I think, or it's either going to be a very very late uh, late night for me. I've, I reckon on Saturday I'm going to be just watching it all after after each other but um yeah that's really it for the preview part of the show like i say we brought you uh, we brought you the review part we brought you guest number one we brought you uh the the preview part just there like i say i'm gonna get onto the news at the very last part of the show after we've brought in this guest here so i'm gonna get onto that at the very last part along with the predictions i think we've made eight predictions which is probably the most predictions we've ever made on one week so there's many many points up for grabs there's going to be a new uh new man in the in the lead hopefully on the predictions but yeah like I say just before we wrap up part 2 it's also time to say goodbye to Umar Umar thank you once again for coming on this week's show and saving the day Ayaz has gone missing no one knows where he is but you've stepped in and done a phenomenal job thanks once again no problem anytime if Ayaz goes missing again uh, you got my number <laughs> Excellent, Umar. Like I say, just before we wrap up part two and ultimately end the show, there's one last thing to do, and that is to welcome guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former Cruiserweight Commonwealth champion. It's, of course, Mr. Luke the Duke Watkins. Luke, welcome back on the show, sir. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me back. Hey, it's it's always my pleasure having you back on. Now, Luke, we last spoke in the build-up to the Lawrence Okoli fight. Um, you know, it was a fight that, in my eyes, was a 50-50 going in. I'm sure that you'd admit yourself that you re- didn't really have your best night. Um, talk us through, I know it's in the past, but please talk us through what you do remember of that of that night. Up until the end of the second round, he, he caught me. There was nothing in the fight. Do you know what I mean? I knew I was there to fight. I knew I wasn't going backwards in in the sense of Lawrence was going to come there and push me backwards or push me about. That was never, ever going to be the case. I knew I was going there to fight. And, you know, Lawrence is heavy-handed and unfortunate for me and fortunate for him. You know, he caught me and, and sometimes that's just the way boxing goes. And how was it for you, Luke, obviously tasting defeat for the first time, losing your title on a big card on Sky Sports? Um, did it take you a while to get over it? Did you just bounce back straight away? I mean, mentally, how, you know, did it take its toll on you? Tell us. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not that, I'm not that way inclined. Um, you know, from a lot of the books I read and, well, yeah, a lot of the books I read, it, it always talks about never dwelling in the past. Don't even think too much to the future, you know. It's all about being present and being right now. That happened. I was gutted. But shit happens in boxing. This is the way it goes. So you have to move forward. You have to think, right, that is obviously not the path for me right now. I need to make an adjustment. We need to see where we're going now. And now, you know, this is this is where we're at. Very positive mindset to have. And my last question on that whole kind of thing. Um, what have you made of Akoli's 2018? Obviously, you know, in my eyes, he's had three... Um, pretty much 50-50s back-to-back. He hasn't always won so brilliantly in the eyes of you know the fight fans that like to see action. Sometimes he hasn't done so well, but he has got the, the, the win, which is, of course, the most important thing. What have you made of his 2018? For him personally, 
you know, in my opinion, he's had a very successful 2018. You know, he captured the... When did he capture that WBA? Was that... Or did he capture that, that again? That was with uh, Chamberlain, I believe. Yeah, but that was early February. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it was February 6th. So that was early February. He caught that title. He caught another one against myself in June. And then he caught the British against my asking. From... from my point of view, that's very successful. But from a fan's point of view, which I am very much a boxing fan as well as I'm a fighter, uh, his performance against Isaac wasn't great. And his performance against me, terrific. I thought, well, as a fan, I would think, right, well, now that, that's what he's about. But then he falls back into the same trap of what happened against him and Isaac, with him and Matty. So for me, for, for a fan... He's an action packed. It's not what I want to watch, but from a man that's be, like trying to be successful and capture titles, he's doing great. It's about winning, and he's he's doing that. Yeah, he certainly is. Now, forget about all that. You yourself have bounced back um, with a, with another huge fight here, another fifty fifty fight in many people's eyes. Um, so you must be given credit for that. Um, also to Isaac Chamberlain, of course, he's done the same thing. It's very, it's a very odd situation because, of course, you're both coming off the loss to the exact same man, and you're both putting it all all on the line here. Um, you know, like I say, in a fifty fifty, the loser, I guess. You know, he's on a bit of a tough path. The winner goes on to big things. Um, I'm expecting a great fight here, Luke, like a lot of your fights end up being great fights. Yeah, it, I think you're right in the sense of it is that. But I don't... This sport, someone's got to lose, right? And come Saturday night, me, my mindset is Isaac's losing. End of, you know. But I don't see that being the end of the road for him. You know I, mean? I, I deem myself as one of the best British cruiserweights out here right now. Um, I've still got a few more fights to have to solidify that. But I am one of the best prospects, in my opinion. And forgive me if I sound so arrogant, but that's the kind of confidence you've got to have in your own ability doing this. And I'm sure Isaac feels the same way. But, and if he feels he's one of the best out there as well, and, and the British fight fans see him as one of the best, it's not the end of the world, you know, uh, it was funny. I was looking at what's his face, Tevin Farmer, and I seen some. I seen some statistics about him. He lost his first two fights. By his fifth fight, he was two two and one, and he's become a world champion. People are too quick to write fighters off nowadays. Oh, he's lost one fight. Oh, I mean, it's not the end of the world. This is a career. Manny Pacquiao has lost how many fights? Um, Ricky Hatton's lost. How many, you know, and they're great fighters. Look at Tony Belly, he's lost a few. These are great fighters that are doing terrific things. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, very good analogy, actually. But no, I said it earlier on in the show. I said I don't necessarily think that the loser is is done or anything. I think they're just in a bit of a difficult situation having the back-to-back losses at this level. But yeah, you know, yeah, um, go on, go on. You're, sorry, sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no, the, the person... I want to stay in big fights, you know. I want to stay in either domestic big fights or break off into the European fights. I want to stay at championship level title fights. I don't want to go back and box on small hall shows, you know. I am. This is where I am at my happiest. This is what I enjoy. I love comedy. I love doing the media workout. I love the press conferences. I love the buzz. I love the fans coming, chatting to me. This is, this is what I live for. So for me, I want to stay here. 
I don't, I don't want to go and fight journeyman fights. Oh, who are you fighting? Bob. Bob who? Bob Chetnikov. Who's that? Exactly. Who's that? I don't want to fight Bob Chetnikov. I want to fight the names. I want to fight people who people know and who they want to see me fight. I just want to apologise to anyone out there that may be called Bob Shipnikov, if you are listening. <laughs> uh, apologies, Bob. I know. I actually know someone called Bob Chetnikov. That's why I used the name. Seriously? Um, nah, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I got, got, got him! You got me. You got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But tell me, Luke, what do you know about Isaac as a fighter? I mean, his best win undoubtedly was that win against Wadi Camacho in a fight that wasn't televised, but I was I was there for it. It was an amazing fight. I don't know, you, yep. you're sometimes in the York Hall. Was you there for that one? If not, I wasn't, have you seen it? I have seen the fight. I wasn't there. I have seen it. Um, it was a good fight. It was. Um, I thought Isaac showed a lot of heart. I don't really wait, rate Wadi Camacho. And I haven't been in the ring with him to be the judge of Wadi Camacho. So, but my opinion of him is not high. Um, but it, it definitely showed a lot of character about Isaac. Definitely. And you have fought at the higher level. Um, you know, your opposition's been better consistently as well than Isaac has. I think that's that's fair to say. Does that give you the edge in this fight, Luke? Styles make fights. You can't dwell too much of that in the past look at Deontay Wilder's track record he's what 39 and 8 39 and 0 with 38 stoppages but man his first 20 fights he was fighting bums you don't know if it's someone trying to build confidence and what they're trying to gain and the experience they're trying to gain I fought better opposition and and that's where it is but when it comes to fight night we're each other's opposition so it's, it's just going to be how it unfolds so you're saying Wilder took on a couple of Bob Shetnikovs, yeah? <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. You, look, I don't know about other fighters, but I'm one of these guys. Every now and then, someone will come to mind and I think, well, let me just go through someone's box rep. Let me see who he's fought. Let me, you know, do you know what I mean? And he's fought, don't get me wrong, he had to build his career and, and do what he was doing, but he was on the road fighting no one for a long time. Yeah, fair enough. And I want to get your take on another fight that's happening in your weight division. It's happening um, November the 10th, not too long now. Bell you against Usyk, Luke. Um, we didn't think that Tony was, in some people's eyes, crazy enough to take this fight. In, in a lot of people's eyes, courageous enough to take this fight. But he's took it. Um, how will the fight play out, in your opinion? Oh, man. Tony's proven that he can do what people think he cannot do. So, for me, I back Tony for this. You know, and he and I'm let, let's be honest, he's up against it when it comes to skill set. Um, Usyk, in my opinion, is one of the best in the world, the best in the world at cruiserweight. Um, he, he's the unified champion. Um, but Tony, Tony's called it, he does what people don't think he can do. And if anyone's going to find a way to win, it's going to be Tony. Fingers crossed for him, certainly. And another big fight that's happening December the 1st. You mentioned it there, or we mentioned it once or twice, Deontay Wilder. He takes on our very own Tyson Fury. We're all hoping that Tyson can can get the job done. I'm sure that you agree with that, but is it a little bit too soon? What happens in your opinion? You are mental. Fury is going to smoke him. Really? I'm Listen, Fury, right? A prime and ripe Fury. He's only 28-29. Is, not a prime, is, he, is he ripe at the moment, though, Luke? 
for that man to go away and come back and be where he is physically and mentally, you don't think he is in a terrific place. In my opinion, I think he is. He's doing, he's doing tremendous. And I, and I honestly think he is going to box Wilder's head off. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen at all. I mean, the way he did that, I'll never forget one of the most epic wins ever uh, when he when he went out to Dusseldorf and pulled off the unthinkable. Um, so, I mean, I, I would love that to happen more than anything. Um, I want to ask you also, Luke, which other fight are you looking forward to most on 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 the fight card that you're fighting on on Saturday? Because it's you know it's got a few lovely fifty fifty fights. Um, I'd have to say Cheeseman and. Uh, yeah, Asayan Byfield. Is that how you pronounce it? Asinia Byfield. I apologise because he's a cool guy. I've I've met them. I know them both. Um, just to say hello to, and they both seem cool. But I'm a. I'm gonna say it straight. I'm a massive Cheeseman fan. Like massive. So, but I like the two. So I'm really looking forward to the fight. Um, you know, like some fighters catch your eye, and, and Cheeseman just caught my eye once, and you know, I had a chat with him after his fight when he beat um, on the same card. Lawrence fought Isaac February. He beat uh, Carson Jones, didn't he? Was that on the same one? Could yeah, have. that was that was the same night. But Waxy was on there. He was on there. Yeah, I believe that was the same night. But I thought he was wicked, and ever since that night, you know, I I become a fan, a real big fan of Cheeseman. Yeah, I think a lot of people followed suit. Um, I was a little bit gutted when Jake Ball and uh, Craig Richards fell apart. That one was really uh, up my street. Um, yeah, that's a good fight as well. If I'm honest, I didn't. I, I forgot about that. I didn't even know that it had fallen apart. That's a shame. That would have been that again. That's another great fight for the fans, both of them. Yeah, for sure. And finally, my uh, my last real question to you, Luke. Um, I want to get your prediction, if you do have one. How do you see your arm being raised on Saturday night when you get the victory? I, I ain't come here. I, I always say to people, I don't come here to make numbers. I come here to win. I come here to fight and I come here to win. And uh, I'm just going to be too much for Isaac, honestly. Is that, is that a points victory I'm sniffing there? Is that a stoppage? How do you see it? If you um, can well, say. Well, I prepare for 10 rounds. Um, Isaac's proven his chin holds up. You know, Lawrence hit him with some good shots and Lawrence is heavy-handed. So let's not me be ignorant to the fact that I've been stopped by Lawrence and, you know, he was in there and he was fine with Lawrence. So I'm not going to be ignorant to that. But at the same time, I'm a cruiserweight who can bang. So if I catch him, he can go to sleep. Like, that is a, that is a very much a possibility. Okay. Okay, uh, like I say, another fight on a, on an amazing card that I'm truly looking forward to. I think now that now that Ball and Richards has fallen apart, I think this one is my favourite, and I'm I'm not just saying that because you're here. Um, finally, Luke, just before I do let you go, is there anything that you want to say, perhaps to our listeners or to anyone in particular? Take it away. The floor is yours. Yeah, I just thank you guys for tuning in. I thank yourselves uh, wanting to chat to me and talk about boxing. This is my this is my life. This is my passion. You know, I, I could sit and talk boxing all day, all night. Um, new fans who, you know, want to tune into me and see what I'm about. People that have been following my journey and my progress, I'm very, very grateful. You know, without all you guys that are interested in boxing, none of us would be doing what we do. So I'm real, real grateful for all that. Very well said, my friend. But listen, Luke, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. It's always a pleasure catching up. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for Saturday, and we shall catch up sometime after for sure. Thank you ever so much. You take care, my friend.
Okay, and this wraps up episode 158 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. Umar Ahmed has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show. Also, Frank Buglioni and Luke the Duke Watkins, both men in big fights in the near future. The Prediction League is exactly the same as last week. We got everything wrong. How bad of us? I don't think that's ever happened in the history of predicting. Ayaz is still in the lead, though, by one point. There are eight more points up for grabs this weekend best of luck with that the bits of news i do have is that tommy fury the brother of tyson fury will be turning professional with frank warren he'll box on the 22nd of december on the warrington vs frampton undercard on that same night it's been announced that in the states jamal charlo will take on willie monroe jr jamal charlo will fight tony harrison and dominic brazil will fight carlos negron if i may say so in my opinion that is free mismatches there if I'm being completely honest but that's really it for the news not too much else going on thank you all once again for tuning into this week's show enjoy your weekends people and we shall see you next week